everyone. Welcome to BS Market Talk, where we bring you the real BS of the real estate market. Today, I have one of my good friends and uh, co-agents with me, co-working agents, and we're going to give you one of the craziest stories we've come across in in the recent market. Um, Sheree, do you want to introduce yourself? Oh. Hi, everybody. I'm Sheree Bjerke. I'm with Two Get Moving Realty. We've been working with Kirsten for a few years. Um, you know, been in this field about six years, and I've definitely come across a handful of interesting situations. So can't wait to get into that stuff. All right. Um, let's just start from the beginning. Um, we're going to talk about one of your recent listings. So, it so. was a fun one. <laughs> um, so I recently listed a property um, that backed up to some water, um, uh, was in, you know, a regular neighborhood, you know, large, large water area. Um, so the majority of the lots had backed up to water. So this client had been there for, I think about 15 years. And when we listed the property, um, as soon as it went under contract, you know, do the standard proceedings, we send the contract over to the attorney and rule number one, this is why you use a good reputable real estate attorney. Because within 24 hours of him having the contract, I got a very interesting phone call that said, um, you know she doesn't own her backyard. And of course we were like, what do you mean she doesn't own her backyard? I don't understand. Okay, pause you. Yes. Um, this is another thing that we come across a lot in real estate. Um, we all live our lives as well as real estate agents. So where were you when you got that phone call? Oh, I don't remember. Where you was were I? on vacation. Oh, I was on vacation. Yeah, I was. I was on vacation. So, <laughs> so I was like, huh? It's like, okay, I guess this is what we have to do. So vacation goes on pause, which I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's the part of the industry that we choose to be in. And, you know, you always have to be there for your clients. But yeah, realtors vacations are never truly vacations. We mostly work through them yeah. and try to schedule our our fun around phone calls. <laughs> yeah. And in our office, it's nice, you know, like if it was something minor or something little, I would call another agent in our office, you know, that's maybe watching my business for me and be like, Hey, can you take care of this or that? Or make a quick phone call for me. But when it comes to a situation that's so unique and can be potentially very serious for this client, um, you know, it's something that we're always going to step up and make sure we're handling ourselves. So yeah, so vacation goes on pause, uh, so that we can gather some information. So, um, without giving too many, you know, personal details about the property or the client, Basically, what happened is what, that when they built this neighborhood, they built everything where they were two lots. And this is not huge lots. We're talking less than a half acre, just a standard size neighborhood lot. So you would never expect this. But they built them where they each had two pins. Um, and the house was built on the front pin. And then the backyard, which was ended up being like the back 60 feet of her yard, which was the part of the yard that went up to the lake and, you know, had the water rights. Um she never owned. So when she bought this house 15 years ago, her attorney, I'm going to say honestly, failed her in that aspect by not looking at, you know, her property lines and this and that and not doing her, their due diligence with this. So um, for people that are just kind of starting to dabble in real estate or, or might not know all of our jargon, when we're talking about a pin, we're talking about the number that comes on your tax ID that identifies the plot of land you live on. And it is not uncommon especially in this area, for your property to actually contain two separate parcel numbers. Um, and and yeah. So her the property she thought she owned, 
did contain two parcel numbers, but her property, when she's getting her taxes every year and this and that, just came, hey, these are my taxes, blah, blah, blah. Um, she was aware that her taxes were a little bit lower than her neighbors, but her house was also a little bit smaller. Um, was you know She had a ranch, a lot of people had two stories, so she never really thought about it too much because it wasn't that drastic because that back, that back pin number would have just been for land, so it's gonna be a minimal tax bill. So you're not gonna notice it when you're having those general conversations with your neighbors. Um, so what had happened is because they never owned this, it was still owned by um, the county. After doing some research, the county had actually tried to sell this piece of land four times in a tax sale. Um, each time it was never sold. So we got extremely lucky that the county still owned, owned it. Um, had that been sold during one of those tax sales, you know, anybody on the face of the earth could have went over there and bought it. Like, you know, Joe Schmo down the street can show up, buy this. And now when she wants to sell her house, he could be like, yeah, well, good luck selling your house. I own your backyard. And she might've had to pay 20, 25, $30,000 to get her own backyard back. Um, in this situation with the equity she, with, that she had in the house, she would have never been able to sell her house. We would have had to pull her house off the market. So she got very lucky in that aspect. Um, but we're very grateful that our attorney found it so quickly. We found out that the county did still own it. And, you know, we had to go through some chains to get the county to release it so that she could purchase her own backyard and you know, ended up purchasing it for under $1,000, which was basically what the county said. These are the fees that we've incurred going to tax sales, this, that, whatever. And they just added up the exact amount of fees that it had cost them to hold this property, um, you know, not, not paying the taxes on it because they took responsibility for that. But... Um, you know, just the fees incurred and they only charged it. I think it was right, it was under $1,000, between $800 and $1,000. So she actually got off really, really lucky. Um, it did not happen overnight though, because this has to get approved by the board and this and that, and you gotta wait for meetings. And right now, especially because we're in the COVID, um, they were only doing meetings every other month. So it ended up delaying her sale, uh, I think almost 75 days by the time that we can get this solved and it, and it did get solved but um you know we always think that we're doing everything that we possibly can you know and i don't care how long you're in the industry there is always things to learn i always check uh, check my clients tax records i think almost i know all the agents that i've worked with that i've trained that you've worked with that you've trained you know that's something that we always tell them to do check, check the tax records look at this look at that um, you know, I'm checking the pin and making sure that that's comparable to other things that we've seen out there. If the house was listed before, one thing I do not always do, which I will for the rest of my life, is when I go into those tax records, I will look at the actual lot lines that's going on. I look at lot lines when I'm doing farm property or large areas, but if it's a house in a neighborhood, you don't think oh, you're going to run into this. You're just like, yeah, okay, yep, that's that's the house. That's the thing. I mean, most of us can easily walk down the lot line. There's a fence over here. There's a lake behind you. I mean, this was not something in my head that was in question. So let's back up. How did you feel and how did that conversation to your client go when you had to reveal to them that they did not own the backyard that they had been using for 15 years? Um, she was floored. <laughs> shocked um you know her first instinct was you know and i think how most people would react is wait a second whose fault is this how come i didn't know you know and not that i want to place blame anywhere and even you know her current attorney that we love to pieces um you know he went way out of his way not to place blame anywhere you know but you know um just to protect you know whatever professional relationships and stuff but 
you know, she was very upset and wanted to know, like, who, who would have been responsible for gathering this information, you know? And we did have that conversation. I said at the beginning, I mean, um, there's a couple people that should have caught it, you know? Um, in my opinion, I mean, a, a lender should be looking at this stuff. I mean, they're the one that's borrowing this money. They're borrowing the money to, to look at the house. You would think that they would, have, you know, it just, it doesn't fall just on one person. You know, um, so of course her first reaction was find, trying to find the responsible party, which I think a lot of us go down that path. But after we kind of got past that and she let go of that, she's like, you know, what do I do? And that fear of anxiety of what's gonna happen? Can I buy it? Is it even available? You know, we were still in the research process, not knowing exactly, you know, what was gonna happen with this and what the process was gonna be. This is not something that my attorney dealt with on a regular basis. This is a very, very unique situation. So we had definitely a couple days of stress um, as an agent. I, you know, tried to keep her calm and just say, listen, all we can do is what we can do. Like we have the information now, we're gonna make every phone call under the sun, we're gonna do everything that we can and make sure that we get it resolved. And we had an answer for her within 48 hours as to, you know, they have agreed to this, blah, blah. It took two months to actually get it done because, you know, you're dealing with a government office. But the agreement was there and settled moving forward fairly quickly. So if you are a homeowner, here, here's an indication of, of, of a trigger that might be able to be jogged for you. If you're at the, the neighborhood block party and all of your neighbors start talking and they say, we received both of our tax bills and you did not, you only received one tax bill. Each parcel is going to have its own tax bill. So if you're hearing that, you might wanna look into why all of your neighbors have two tax bills and you receive one. Yeah. And and she did say that she had heard that once or twice over the years, she's like, but I didn't really think too much of it. You know, she goes, and, and I'll be honest, what I did after the fact of finding this out, because it is a neighborhood that I work in frequently and I'd never experienced this before, um, I went through and I looked at every single house that was on that lake um, just to see what was going on. I would say about 50% of them were still currently getting two tax bills. A lot of them had, I don't know when it happened, had merged them together and were now on one pin. So they were only getting one tax bill. It's, you know, everybody was having this individual thing. I found a couple situations where um, the, the county didn't own any of the other ones. There are a couple situations in this neighborhood, however, where a next door neighbor owns the backyard of another next door neighbor. And I don't know if these people are aware of it or what's going on. Um, so in that situation, but, you better hope you yes. have really good relationships yes. with your neighbors. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so these, you know, every single one of them, I think when it was originally built, they kept that separate, you know, the, the part of the land that backed up to the lake, which, I mean, we have, this is not some big, huge, you know, lake. I mean, this is a private lake within a neighborhood. Um, we have a lot of those, you know, in Shanahan, Manuka, Morris, you know, I mean, all through Hunter's Crossing, there's all these, you know, little properties that back up to the lakes and this and that, you know. Um, well, and one of the reasons that this might happen to give some background, because after Shri did tell me the story and, and while it, in this situation, it's very scary for the client. And luckily we have great partners that solved the problem as quickly as we found it. I did some digging into the history of the community, um, not specifically that subdivision, but the community as whole. And when developers came in and started to develop these subdivisions, the, the initial goal for a lot of them was to have the lake be owned by the association, which means the land around the lake be owned by the association as well, which gives a lot of reasoning of why these homes aren't two properties. And it's not just that neighborhood, it's, it's other 
other surrounding neighborhoods as well. Well, when building kind of took a dump and they needed to recoup some money, they decided to sell off to not have the associations. That was one way that they were bringing in buyers was to eliminate the association. So they had to parcel the land around the lake back off to the homeowners. And that's how some of these have created into this situation. I just think it's, it's like, it, it's very unique over there because there's, like I was saying, there's neighborhoods like, you know, if, if whoever's listening, if you're familiar with a neighborhood like Hunter's Crossing, if you're from the area, um, there's little ponds and, and whatever all around that. But the properties don't go, you know, you can see people's fence lines end before that. There's a path that goes around it. So you assume, okay, that's owned by an HOA that's there. And then there's, you know, other neighborhoods, there, there's actually a lake and you can see everyone's backyard runs into the lake. There's people that are using boats on there, kayaks, you know, whatever, where it really feels like, oh, that's definitely a part of their yard. And this was definitely one of these situations where, you know, most homeowners wouldn't question it. You know, you go into neighborhoods where, you know, you have active, you know, boat usage and things like that on these lakes. And you're like, well, of course, I assume that my backyard ends where the water starts, you know, which technically you actually, she actually owns into the lake, which is standard with water, right? Whatever. We're not going to get into the water right situation, but you know, that standard is to actually own partially into the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have an HOA in the neighborhood. They do have, you know, a lake fee, you know, to, keep the health of the lake, you know, but that's a very small, you know, organization and very minimal fees throughout the year to, to maintain that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is probably one of the wildest stories that I've ever heard of not owning your own backyard. Um, and that is also why you, you know, you as a homeowner need to do your research agents. You need to make sure you pick an agent that's going to do their research and be able to provide people to solve your problems for you. Um, I'm assuming it closed and everything was good. And yes, so new- she did. She, she got all the way through the closing. It was a very, actually after that part was resolved, it was a very clean, easy transaction. Um, you know, a couple minimal little things that happened along the way, but nothing out of the ordinary after that. Thank goodness. Um, I don't know how much more stress she could have handled after, uh, that situation, but you know, it's, you know, like, like Kirsten said, it's really about, you know, having, you know, a good agent, having good lenders, having good attorneys, just having a good group of people that are working with you, you know, so that you know that. You know, when you have four or five people looking at a transaction that not every single one of those people drop the ball on you, you know, like happened to her previously, you know, like I said, I'm like, I don't know that that responsibility technically fall, fell onto any one person 15 years ago when she purchased. Um, but it's something that a title company could have caught. It's something that her lender should have been looking at just for the health of their own loan that they were lending to her. It's something that her attorney could have, and it's something that an agent isn't something that we typically are, I would say, responsible for, but could definitely go do the research and see it, you know, after I was told that I could do the research and see it. And now I know as an agent, and this is, you know, why it's sometimes nice to use an agent that's been in the field for a little while, because we do these small things where you go, you know what, this will probably never happen to me again. I don't know that I'll ever hear this story coming from anybody again. This is not something that happens regularly, but guess what? I will never not look at the property lines on a tax record when listing a property or when working, even when working with a buyer or when they're going to put a contract in to go into those tax records, look at those property lines, make sure that everything's up to par, you know, so you know what you're walking into, you know, 
Um, obviously, it's a little bit lower risk for a buyer than it is for a seller, you know, because that would give a buyer a right to leave contract, walk away from contract, everything else. But we also know that it's going to delay closing. There's going to be other issues that have to come up. You know, these are problems that need to be solved, you know, day one and two, not day 20 and 25. You know, you want to make sure you're finding this stuff immediately, you know, and you're not working with people who are like, oh, yeah, we noticed three weeks in. Because um, that could have had a, a very detrimental effect, you know. Well, I will say the situation obviously didn't happen to me. It happened to Sheree. But because we work in an office where we talk to each other and, and not divulge um, sensitive information, but say, hey, I ran across this and I've never heard of having this issue. I have since been very diligent about checking property lines. And I have I have a buyer looking for property couple towns over and now I just make a common practice to do that and one of the properties they were looking at had three parcel numbers so I had to go make sure and two of the parcels were owned by a trust one of the parcels that contained the house was owned by the homeowner turned out that the the trust was the homeowner just set up differently so that it could be taxed differently mm -hmm. and the bill went to a you know a different yeah. way but it is it is now that it's been brought to light something that is yeah. way more common than I ever thought. <laughs> well, and, and those kinds of things do happen. You know, those things do happen where you have multiple pins and maybe somebody puts in the MLS and they, you know, when you, when you enter something into the MLS as an agent, um, you are, you know, if it's multiple pins, I mean, that's a question that we're asked in there. You're supposed to list those multiple pins. And I will agree that we will see sometimes people don't do their full due diligence and put in both pins or all three pins or as you start getting close to the city maybe there's a separate pin for a garage or this or that you know ownership things change as you go into different types of communities farm communities you're going to have different issues and stuff like that as you know but to to actually be somewhere where the homeowner is unaware of what's going on with what they believe is their property is what makes it so unique you know um, rather than being like, oh, well, we didn't list it right, or, oh, yeah, we know that's going to be a trust, and, oh, this is going to be more of a paperwork headache, you know, but that's something that, you know, hopefully they find at day one, and, and it's good that you're looking so that you can have that resolution and have those answers for your client day one, you know, because it's not even, even the situation that Kirsten just explained. That's not something you want to find out three weeks in and be like, oh, well, now we have to redo the whole contract and this and that because, the trust has to be written in here. This has to be done. All this paperwork that's already been started, you know, with lending, with attorneys, with title, with contract, with disclosures, you know, all that stuff has to be listed properly, you know, so it, it causes a lot more work if you're not doing that day one. So did your attorney look into or did you guys have the discussion about um, about the owners having rights to the property free and clear because of, of known usage? So... Um, they, they wouldn't have ownership rights because in the state of Illinois, that would be 20 years, right? Um, what's that called? Uh, squatter's rights. Yes. Okay. So the state of Illinois has this, a, a rule called squatter's rights, which a lot of people aren't aware of. But if you are actively using a property to live on, on a regular daily basis, um, and it can't be in secret. It has to be, it, it has to be in, public, in public. Like, no. In public, like people are known. This is not a secret. You're not doing anything weird or illegal. But you are using this property to live off of for 20 years, and nobody says anything to you. The state of Illinois, it's like it's called squatters' rights, and they will say, "Okay, well now you own that." So had she stayed in this property for another five years, 
we might have been able to invoke squatter's rights and she might have just got it free and clear because nobody had ever challenged that. It was obviously her backyard. I mean, she's got a swing set in that area, her fire pits in that area. She's got her, you know, paddle boat and stuff and her little wall that she had built up to the pond. You know, they're actively using and maintaining this area as if it's just part of their yard. So had she been there another five years, we might've been able to invoke squatter's rights, um, which to be honest, you know, I would have thought was super cool because it's something I've never experienced. Most of us never will. <laughs> no, you know, um, it's not something yeah, that it's happens. Not something that happens thereafter. I know one property that we all tell a story about within, you know, sixty miles, and we all know this one property that's ever happened to, and it was thirty years ago. Like this isn't something that happens on a regular basis. I wouldn't actively go out there and try to claim property and sit on it for twenty years, but, you know, had she been there another five years, that might have been an avenue to go down. Um, you know, and that would have been an interesting process to go through. I would have, I would have enjoyed going through that process. And like, oh wow, like we get to, we get to actually invoke this because that's not something that gets invoked very often. Uh, but yeah, no, she was only at the fifteen year mark, so there's, so there, just there, there's, under the cusp, there's nothing to do there. You know, oh. um, but had she, I mean, it's something. You know, just to have that knowledge and know that those are options. You know, had she had somebody else bought it and said, well, no, we're not going to sell it to you, um, but. And she said, okay, well, then I can't sell my house. And she stayed there for another five years. If they weren't aware of that law and they didn't actively start using that property or ever go, hey, we're going to start charging you rent for your back and do something to engage with her and say, hey, this is our property. I mean, technically, if I went and bought it five years ago, I could show up in her backyard one day with a tent, build myself a campfire and just go hang out in her backyard. And she'd be like, what are you doing here? But this is my land. Well, because you know? the other part of that and in Illinois law, you cannot... Um, people can't trespass, but it's not considering trespassing if your only way to get to your owned property is through somebody else's property. Yes. So you would have had every right to walk mm -hmm. or drive yep. through their yard to get to your beachfront property. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I could have absolutely used her property to access my property had I owned it and went back there and just used it and did whatever I wanted. And as soon as you know I did that and I staked claim to it, she would have lost the ability to use squatter's rights at that 20 year period. Um, you know, but yeah, it was just, you know, it makes you go through all these like what if scenarios and you know, what if this would have happened or that would have happened or this would have happened, you know? And all in all, I mean, we got really, really lucky that it was never sold in a tax sale. We got really lucky that the county, I mean, the county didn't have to, just you know give this to her for their costs i mean the county themselves could have been like hey we've been paying tax on it for 20 years no we want you know they were trying to sell a tax sale for five thousand dollars you know the county didn't have to do that so you know i think they understood where we were coming from again i have a very very good attorney um so did the buyers ever know anything was up or did you guys oh, get it all washed well, out before what, this is what then. happened is so it went under contract, it was on the market, it went under contract um, within a couple of days, within three or four days. And as soon as it went under contract is when we sent the contract to the attorney. Attorney's not typically involved until you're in contract. So within 24 hours of getting it under contract is when we found all this out. So of course, I had to immediately call the other agent and inform them, hey, we just got this new information, what's going on? Um, that contract did end up falling through but it, um, because they didn't wanna wait for the delay and he's like, listen, with that, he goes, we don't have an exact date because that would have been closing in July at that point. And um, they're like, they just, you know, without having an exact date, they're going to, you know, move forward, which was fine. So we did end up losing a contract from it. But then, 
you know, I was able to relist the property, whatever, within a couple of days. And by the end of, I think we were on day nine of her listing when we got a second contract in. So within nine days, we went under contract, found out this information. They chose not to play the long game because they wanted to close in 30 days. And I understand, if, you know, closing in 30 days, closing in 90 days, you yeah. know, it was a huge difference. Um, put it back on the market, got it back under contract within like those first nine days. And of course, I immediately noted in the MLS, <laughs> you know, um, under agent remarks, you know, I couldn't put down two pins because she didn't own the other property. It was a really weird thing to put in the wording towards the client. Um, so what I did is I put in agent remarks um, saying, you know, there is an ownership issue happening with the backyard, blah, blah, blah. And I described it in there. And any time that a showing was set up, the first thing I did before that showing even happened was I called every single, which was a little bit of a headache because it was a very hot property, but I called every single agent before they showed that property and had the conversation with them because, um, because of the uniqueness and the complexity of the situation and knowing, you know, we already had this from Grundy and blah, 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 but it wasn't going to be finalized until September, you know, and all this stuff. Um, I called every single agent that was doing a showing and explained it to them so that they can have that conversation with their client while they were there. You know, and that's all you can do at that point is be as forthcoming as you possibly can. And, uh, Shree talking about, um, agent remarks, what that, boils down to is there is a portion of the MLS where it is agent to agent. It is not necessarily, it's information that the agent needs to relay to their client, but it is not something you will ever see on Zillow or Trulia or any of the other 5 billion sites that claim to have all the most up-to-date information on local listings. There, There is a value of, as a buyer, immediately hooking up with a agent and and yeah. using that agent to their to their full ability to be able to get the most information about a property i should pull it up i, I wish i had my laptop with me right now i would pull it up so i can show it to you because i did under where the clients could actually see and the things that would transfer over to other areas you know not that i want to give them any props anywhere but um Things that would transfer over to other areas i said you know i think i had some type of little blurb in this there that said please ask your agent about you know the property lines um you know because you know i couldn't like i said i couldn't put both pins in there because she doesn't own them mm -hmm. so i was limited there but i think it's really important to make sure that you're being as forthcoming as honest with information out there i don't want anybody out there wasting their time you know um you know they have dogs and they have kids and you know if this is something that someone's like oh wait i don't even want to deal with this well then you know then nobody wants to waste their time i don't want her wasting her time, the buyers wasting their time, other agents wasting their time. So you do want to get that information out there the best that you can, but you have to stay compliant, you know. So there's that line between like, okay, well, I, I need to be ethical and make sure that this information is out there available to the clients and then make sure I'm contacting those agents and giving them all that information. Um, and if you as a consumer were just going to be reading that there's a property or there's a, a dispute with the property line, you, that would be scary. But but when you can have an agent that has knowledge and can answer your questions about it, it, yeah. it you realize it's, it's not as big of a deal yeah. as it and looks in writing. Exactly. And I don't think I use the word dispute because I think that is a negative word. And, you know, um, and I, I guess technically it was a dispute with property lines, but it wasn't like. A neighbor and them are fighting over whose property is exactly. this is such a you know it was more of a gentle situation like hey this happened it's fixable we have a solution it's just gonna take a minute you know 
Um, and we went back and forth of, you know, do we take the house off the market, you know, for whatever. And I had to have that conversation with my client. Like, do you want to take it off the market for 35 days until we're closer to when we know this is going to happen? Because we know that this is going to happen in September because that's what the county had told us. Um, I'm, so, I'm shocked to give you a date because you know, any time you're we like. Had, <laughs> we had an exact date because it, bottom line is they agreed to everything, but they couldn't finalize it until they had a meeting. So we had the meeting date, and because they were only doing meetings every other month due to COVID, you know, we yeah. tried we tried really hard to be like, hey, can we come down there and just do that? Like, no, they would not, the county would not budge on changing this to completion until that meeting, oh, which was very frustrating. Um, but again, I mean... They charge us the minimal that they could possibly charge us, in my opinion. And, you know, yeah, they whatever. Got lucky. Um, you know, my frustration in there, you know, looking at the situation was. And Grant, I don't know whose responsibility this is or necessarily. I don't know all the inner workings of tax sales. And it's not something I have a lot of education or familiarity with. But I'm like, they tried to sell this person's backyard four times. At one point, you think maybe you would have sent them a letter like, hey, do you want to buy your backyard? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I think most people would have been like, "Uh, yeah, I'll take it. You know, like, I mean, I wish I already had it, but oh my goodness, yes, I would take that. You know, I feel like this could have been resolved. You know, when I go back and look at it, I was like, this could have been resolved, you know, at the closing table, this could have been resolved during any of the tax sale, you know. But the problem is with tax sales is that if your house is going to go into a tax sale, yes, they have to notify you. But it's not their property, so they were never notified. Yes. Because it's not theirs. So there was no notification going to them. It was just the craziest. You're like, she's like, why was I notified? It's like, because you don't own it. Well, I think the so, moral of this story is while it was a headache and while it was a shock, I think everything works out how it's supposed to. Because had she purchased in that tax sale, she probably would have had to purchase for $5,000. If she had purchased it from... Her neighbor, she might have even had to purchase it for more than that. I think that, uh, she, you know, it was it was not an ideal situation, but it did work out in their favor that they were able to yeah. buy it back for, or not buy it back, but buy it for the first time yeah. for such for a convenient time. price. Yes, you know. So it did. I mean, the resolution did come very quickly. Um, it was definitely one of the most interesting phone calls that I've, I've gotten. Um, I've worked with this attorney for years on... I would say 80% of my transactions I've used this attorney. Um, I've used him on my own transactions. I mean, he's one of the most professional, well-rounded, I mean, crosses every T, dots every I kind of guy, um, and is very personable as well, which makes him even better. Um, and that was one of the best phone calls I ever got from him because he just called and he goes, wow, Cherie, we got a good one here. And I go, what do you mean? What's happening? He's like, I don't even know where to start. I've never seen, like, it just, this doesn't, like, he's like, this is just the weirdest thing, blah, 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 you know, and. And for an attorney that, that handles <laughs> a lot of business in our area from a lot of different exactly. realtors, yes. it's it's always fun to, to be able to stump him. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a unique situation. It was very educational for myself, for, like Kirsten said, for everybody in our office, you know, kind of gives you that, like, boost up, you know, and. I hope that other agents are, you know, listening to this and not just homeowners be like, oh, yeah, maybe this is something we should look at. You know, I mean, you know, there's those little things where you, you know, we all feel like we're doing everything that we possibly can to look out for the best of our clients. And then you learn something new, you know, and um, I think it's a great lesson, you know, for me personally, I think it's a great thing for homeowners to do. I mean, you can always look into your tax records, see what's going on, you know, I mean, and I've seen. I've seen little things have discrepancies in tax records like square footage on homes or, you know, 
I've seen them where the lot lines are accurate, but the, the um, acreage is different than what the lot line's showing. I was like, okay. And, you know, that's a challenging situation for a homeowner. You know, if, if your lot line is shorter or your square footage is off, um, you know, if you call the assessor's office and you have that stuff addressed, most of us are like, well, why would I want to have, tell them I have more property? Or why would I want to tell them that I have a bigger house? Because what's that going to do? It's going to make your taxes go up, right? But when you go to sell your house, you know, and not to go into a whole nother story, but literally two weeks later, I had an appraisal come back that was, you know, $12,000 low because the tax records were showing a different square footage than what the house actually was. And, you know, we got to fight that appraisal and we, you know, won that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the tax records are not always 100% accurate. And it um, is in your best interest, although, although you know, you, you might have to be paying more than what you're paying or maybe you're paying less because sometimes they have the square footage wrong in your favor. But... <laughs> It, it is going to make a huge difference on your sales, yeah. on what yeah. happens throughout the sale of your property. When you get to the point where you're starting to contemplate selling your property, looking at your tax records and making sure that information is all accurate, will definitely make that transaction go a little bit smoother. And that way you're dealing with it before you're under contract. And you know, once you're under contract, there's already so many different stressful things, this and that, going back and forth between a buyer and a seller. And you know, we wanna fix this and we gotta do this and we gotta do that. So if there's things that you know, like, hey, you know, some of these things have to be corrected, you know? I mean, it's a good way to be like, all right, well, let's start taking care of this six months ahead of time. Get to the assessor's office, you know, take care of those things, call the county, be like, hey, this is wrong. What do I need to provide to prove that this is wrong, to have this adjustment made, you know, so that all that stuff is clear and, you know, helps you moving forward. Because mm -hmm. um, it can affect your appraisal, which is then gonna affect, you know, your bottom dollar. Yeah, you're saving a few dollars on taxes, but. Now your appraisal is ten thousand dollars low. How much are you really saving on taxes? You exactly. know, I mean, you, you gotta you know look at the different things and how it can impact you. So, you know, well, errors happen. Yes, yes, so so many, and that's why you have us to come help and fix them. But Sheree, uh, thank you so much for telling that very unique and wild story. Uh, I will, if you're looking for an awesome agent that can handle. Any situation that gets thrown at her, I will leave Shree's contact information in the show notes for today. And if you have any questions about this transaction or other situations, feel free to reach out to either one of us, like and share our podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me.